This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to the interview series. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm your host today, Craig Patterson, and we're joined here today with a retail expert, uh, Bruce Winder. You're based uh, in the Toronto area, and uh, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, talking to you uh, with you today about some retail. You bet. Now, you're the head of uh, Bruce Winder Retail, which is a consultancy. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah, it's pretty much me. <laughs> I'm like sort of a one man a one man show. My wife helps me with administration, but yeah, we're not a big company. It's more of a uh, a, a single person, which is me. <laughs> Hey, it works. It works. And and you wrote a book as well, which is really topical. And I was also really impressed by the way that you got it out so fast because the book is called Retail Before, During and After COVID-19. And you, when, when was the book published again? It was, it seemed like the pandemic had just started. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crazy. You know, a lot, I think people think I published it too quick, but the story is that I wrote a book, you know, a couple hundred pages long, which is pretty much, Hey, here's retail as I know it today with 80 trends and looking at different retailers. And then toward about, you know, three quarters to done, the pandemic hit. So I said, well, I can't really publish this book as is. It's incomplete. So I said, okay, I'll write for another month or two. And I wrote a couple more sections, one on sort of uh, what's happening during retail. And then I said, okay, you know what? I think people are going to be curious to see where, you know, where this thing's going to end up when it's done. So I took a little time and wrote a piece on that too. So it's a bit of a hybrid book. It was literally written right in the middle of the thing, and I published it in June of uh, 20. Of 2020, yeah. So really, it was, yeah. I mean, it was yeah. well over a year ago now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a whole other conversation. What is it like to publish a book? Because I haven't done it, so I don't know what it's like. I, I yeah. you know, Obviously, we know people who have published books, but I haven't yeah, done it. Definitely. and I may never do it. I, I don't know. That's <laughs> it takes a lot of time, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, for me, it was kind of therapeutic, you know, just sort of gave me some time. I always wanted to do it, and allowed me to assemble a whole bunch of notes I made and, you know, kind of get it off my bucket list. And I'll probably put pen to paper again and and put forth another one coming up in the next year or so. So definitely something that is uh, kind of fun to do. And, uh, and uh, hey, you know what? It's one of those experiences in life everyone should try at least once. Ah, okay. Maybe I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about retail even before well, we'll talk sure. about retail during before, during and after uh, this. Well, after would be a little more difficult unless we have a crystal ball. Sure. But uh, before before the pandemic, tell me a little bit about what you were seeing with uh, with with retail in Canada and even beyond. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought retail was turbulent enough before the pandemic. I mean, there's, you know, I've been following the industry like a lot of people and there was a lot of things happening. And I, I captured 80 trends in my book, but, you know, some of them are just, you know, sort of for Canada, speaking of Canada, the, the, the growth of e-commerce, and I know that accelerated during the pandemic, but it sort of became quite topical over the last couple of years in Canada, knowing that we're, we're behind the U.S. and the U.K. in e-commerce. So that, that was a big trend. That was disrupting a lot of retailers in almost every category. Um, green and environmental sustainability was a big thing, too, that was happening. And, uh, you know, that kind of surfaced uh, back around 2007 and then went away when the crisis the financial crisis hit, but you know that's come back uh, significantly. I think people were already looking at malls in a different way too, and saying, you know, what do malls mean? What's the future of malls? You know, there was a lot of closings, a lot of mid retail were closing in Canada. Some of the folks out of Montreal and some of the sort of mid sized retailers. Uh, we also noticed that Canada was was using being used as a test ground. You know, we obviously follow your your uh, newsletter and you see a lot of new brands sort of opening up in Canada using Canada as a bit of a test ground perhaps you know looking to get into the US after that 
Um, you know, you started to see, you know, what I called home delivery, the last mile space race. So tied in with e-commerce, there was a lot of jockeying in terms of last mile delivery that was going on. Uh, micro retailing, which is really sort of a trend where we saw a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, partner up with folks like Shopify uh, and then maybe Amazon to sell their own products. So everyone was kind of getting into selling their own things. Um, ESG, you know, was really important, environmental, uh, social responsibility, digitally native brands, um, you know, a lot of private label growth. Um, you know, we saw the polarization of retail between sort of luxury and value retail, and we saw a lot of that middle hollowed out. So, you know, those are just some of the trends that I talk about, the 80 trends in my book that, uh, you know, and I th again, I thought retail was pretty dynamic before the pandemic. And, and then when the pandemic hit, obviously all, all heck broke loose. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing right now in terms of, so, you know, obviously the book has been published and uh, uh, now we're more than a year beyond that. Um, in, in terms of, say, what you were observing, have things changed quite a bit? Or tell me a little bit about what we're seeing now as we're in November of 2021. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, I think what we're all feeling, you know, when we sort of, you know, look at sort of where we are now and take a snapshot is um, supply chains are, are one of the biggest issues right now that retailers are dealing with, um, you know, almost across the board. Um, and, uh, you know, that we, we saw supply chain disruption early on during the pandemic. Um, but I think a lot of people thought it probably would have been okay by now. You know, when, when, when once this was done, we thought, okay, come on, supply chains are resilient, they're global, they're sophisticated, you know, with technology and everything and the size of, uh, you know, big retail partners. But, you know, people are scrambling right now. A lot of folks have, uh, the bigger folks have sort of uh, chartered their own ships. Um, you know, you look at Canadian Tire, they invested in the port of Vancouver. That's pretty radical. Um, you know, when you look at sort of other, other, other companies are doing things to try to do what they can, you know, really tough on probably small to medium-sized companies right now with supply chain because they don't have the power. They don't have the negotiating power with the carriers that the big folks do. Um, obviously, uh, the other thing that, that's happening right now that's big is, is inflation. And, uh, you know, that, that goes hand in hand with uh, supply chain issues, but it also goes hand in hand with what's happening as it relates to um, uh, labor, labor shortages in some areas, particularly in retail and restaurant and hospitality. Um, and also some growth, uh, some increase in some commodities as well. So you're seeing a bit of a, a double whammy here. You're seeing inflation. Uh, make its way in the retail shelves, and you're also seeing some empty shelves as it relates to uh, to supply chain issues. Um, and then, you know, depending on how big you are and how important it is to you, we're seeing the phasing out of or reduction of government subsidies, which uh, for some people is important. If you're if you're a Canadian Tire of the world or a Loblaw, it might not be as important because you got a really strong balance sheet. But if you're a small mom and pop um, or someone who's you know sort of been uh, has a lot of debt. Um, it's going to be tough. And, and guess what? A lot of people have a lot of debt, a lot of small companies. You know, as the uh, Independent Business uh, Association says, it's about average $190,000 in debt that uh, small companies, small retailers have incurred over the pandemic. Um, and it all kind of comes down to this big fourth quarter that we're entering now. And, you know, everybody's sort of wondering what's going to happen. I mean, everyone is being coaxed, uh, being directed, rightly so, to shop early. Right, Craig? I mean, if you want something, especially something specific, you better shop early. Um, you better order it early if you're going to buy it online um, because you just don't know how long that's going to, how long the inventory is going to last. You're probably also going to see a little less discounting this, this fourth quarter um, as retailers probably say, well, you know what? I don't have to give it away 
because inventory is in a bit of a shortage position. Let's bank some margin. So, you know, it's a really weird time. Wow, holy cow. And w- staffing has been another issue, right? In terms of, uh, you know, not enough employees and, and those are there. Exactly. More. Exactly. And that, that's sort of a perfect storm if you're a business, right? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, minimum wages uh, went up and I'm all for minimum wage growth, you know, uh, to help out the average worker. But if you're a company, um, a small company, and you have to digest another increase in wages uh, in January, then that's something to worry about. But I think wages were going up anyways, just because of supply and demand. So it's kind of, you know, a moot point that the government increased wages, at least in Ontario. But yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got less people available and, and, and in fairness, they do want more and they, and they deserve more. You know, if you look at some of the lowest paid, you know, workers are those who work frontline retail or, or frontline restaurant or, you know, hospitality. And then it's really tough to live. You know, if you live in a big city like a Toronto or like a, Vancouver or somewhere like that, you know, it's really expensive to live. And I, I think you, you need a little more just to, just to, to uh, buy enough food and have enough shelter to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what this will mean for retail as we see costs go up as well as a challenging environment around the supply chain, because uh, you know, it's, it's not like retail wasn't already hard. And now we've got a situation. No. <laughs> now we've got a situation where it's much harder. It's much more expensive. I mean, probably consumers are going to see considerably higher prices, as well as, well as you know, a, a situation where where retail may not be quite as robust as they're used to. Yeah, I think it's going to be a weird time because you know there, there's one argument that says consumers have money burning a hole in their pocket. They've saved billions of dollars over the pandemic, and they're itching to spend. Um, and that may be true for some consumers, but there's some consumers who have really had a hard time over the pandemic. They may have lost their job. Um, and, you know, they may have to channel down. You know, one thing that sort of alarmed me a little bit, I was reading something about the U.S. market, and it said that one in 10 American shoppers are going to skip holiday in terms of buying anything. And that's up from 5% last year and 2.5% two years ago. So, you know, are some, are some folks going to have to sort of opt out of doing a lot of gift giving over the holiday? I hope not. But that's something that, you know, um, you might see a little bit of, uh, especially those who are a little more economically challenged. Yeah, yeah. And that could be a fairly substantial percentage of the population. You just mentioned it was about 10% that may not even participate per se. But it was something like over half of the, the households were $200 away from from insolvency. Uh which is, I guess, kind of a scary thought. I guess in terms of an economic recovery for retail, we'd be looking, at least for now, for those who have the financial means to hopefully be able to pull us out of it, not getting into a Reaganomics type of discussion of any trickle down, but those that have the money will hopefully keep things at least afloat for the time being so that things don't completely collapse. And then, you know, hopefully those that have struggled will be able to get back on their feet and our consumer society will push forward as, you know, it it did before. Uh, It's as it did, you know, for, for, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, and, and yeah, I'm not a big uh, sort of uh, proponent of, of Reaganomics either because I'm not really sure it works. But, you know, I think to your point is well taken about saying, hey, you know what, we need whoever can spend, go out and spend some money and, and, and keep, you know, keep business going. And there's, there's a big movement too, I'm sure you've seen it, Craig, too, as it relates to local. So a lot of people are really making an effort this year to do local, even, you know, big folks um, like uh, the Bay and, and uh, to a larger scale, Amazon. Amazon set up a web page that actually promotes buying local. So, I mean, uh, everyone, even, even the big retailers are trying to help out here in terms of realizing that a healthy, you know, retail 
ecosystem is one that includes small and large retailers. Yeah. I found that really, really interesting as well. I wonder, though, you know, I've been a consumer over the course of the pandemic, and I've tried to, you know, support local retailers, uh, certainly looked into that. But but one of the things that I've noticed is that, well, I guess when you compare it to Amazon, with Amazon, you know what you're going to get, you know what's going to be in stock, you know roughly when it's going to be arriving at your home if it's being shipped, which with Amazon would be the case. Um, right. I think right. that there's been a bit of a challenge with some of the smaller retailers, just kind of getting that across to consumers, especially those that would need something quite quickly. I know for myself, I, I recently had surgery where I had to get a medical device that I'd have to order online and I could have ordered it from a uh, independent retailer, but I ended up needing it fairly quickly and I ended up going to Amazon because I know the process. I know that it's it's going to actually get to me, uh, and yep. it's 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 you know reliable. But but I want to be able to support local retail. I just didn't even actually honestly know where to go, and I went yeah. with where I knew yeah. what I could get the fastest, the easiest, and the most reliable. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think what you're seeing is retailers like Amazon try to create a bit of a hybrid. So, you know, they have 800 million, call it 800 million products on their website. You know, I don't know what the number is, but over half their sales are actually from their marketplace where it's small companies selling their own products on Amazon. So that could be a hybrid approach, you know, where you can kind of get best of both worlds where you say, okay, I'm going to support local, but I'll use Amazon's supply chain to try to get it here quickly. But uh, definitely it is, you know, it's tough. And the other thing is if you're buying local from a, from someone on the street, you want to help them, but sometimes their pricing's higher, right? So so you kind of cost you a little bit out of your pocketbook. and if you're well to do, then you can afford that. If you're not well to do, then it's just more difficult to sort of, you know, uh, spend a higher price on something to support local when you're trying to look after your own needs as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I, I shouldn't have used ex- Amazon as an example of just being a big retailer because, like you said, there are many, many well, thousands and thousands of small vendors that are selling on Amazon. Um, yeah, they are. I mean, that that's the interesting thing, right? It's uh, it's, and I think they've really changed. You know, they've they've really embraced. They said, you know what, we're not going to be able to do this alone. We we need help, and uh, they're trying to create an ecosystem, which I think is good for them. You know, I think it's good for them and good for consumers and good for small small retailers as well. Do you think we're going to have too many marketplaces? Because we've seen the Hudson Bay Company bring a marketplace forward. Uh, Sears, I think Sears Canada did have one. Obviously, they're not here anymore. But Best Buy, uh, we just mentioned Amazon. It, it seems like yeah. you know there's lots of marketplaces out there. Do you think there's going to be too many? I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this because I'm not a, an expert in yeah. this area. Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I don't know the answer, but I mean, even even you know, you look at what's happening on Facebook, right, with their own marketplace too. So, and I think you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see marketplaces go away. I think it's the future. Um, because of the things we talked about earlier, like micro retailing, where everyone sort of has a side hustle to sell things, um, and people want to support local. Um, I think you're probably just going to see a bit of a consolidation. Um, you know, cause you're right. I mean, Best Buy came out with a marketplace almost 10 years ago. They were one of the first ones to come out with it. Um, but, but some of the bigger players now who, no offense to Best Buy, they're a great company, but might be, have a little more web traffic or do a little better folks like uh, a Facebook or like an Amazon or something. So you're probably going to see some consolidation, but you know, you're probably going to see a lot of retailers um, try to replicate that model. You know, the Bay, like you said, did it even the Bay, right? Which, you know, I wouldn't have put them forward as a lead retailer to have a marketplace, but here they are. So I think you're going to see a lot of people have a marketplace for the reasons we talked about. And then you'll probably see some consolidation and maybe, you know, some folks will shut it down when they, if the, if the economics don't work. Because, you know, there are certain economics and, and minimum orders and, and economies of scale, break-even points you need to hit to make it viable, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And that was my thought about online as well, is that it, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of new businesses were formed during the pandemic. And can they all, well, can they all survive, I guess, is one question. Probably the answer is no. And how do, how do these businesses even get in front of the consumers if they're not in a marketplace in terms of such things as search engine optimization? You, you either need to be somewhere where already a consumer can find you or, I suppose, pay a fortune trying to get that <laughs> consumer yeah, and I think I think it's a great point, and uh, I think uh, I think what you're going to see happen is probably consolidation. You're going to have all these great new businesses that start up, whether they're apps, delivery apps, or you know, shopping apps, or what have you. And you'll probably have a couple of them get some venture capital funding or private equity funding, and then they'll gobble up the other ones, or they'll just beat them up in terms of scale because they have the dollars to do what you said to you know advertise it on SEOs. And dominate that way. But you're probably going to see, you know, the herd's going to thin out a little bit here with all these new businesses. Some people will buy each other. I mean, an example of this that, you know, is, is, the, is the buy now, pay later uh, phenomenon, right? There's so many companies that have sprung up and are offering buy now, pay later. Um, and even some of the big banks have made acquisitions now with some of the smaller companies. So I think you're going to see some some consolidation, and but that's that's the the silver lining of a pandemic is you see some really cool business models kind of come out of this, and you know even entrepreneurs who maybe had to shut down during the pandemic don't count them out. They're going to kind of get back on their horse, get some funding lined up, and and open a new business that might be better than the one they had to close down. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's not like all the businesses that have disappeared or the entrepreneurs aren't going to come back. Uh, I, I, I mean, we're talking more about retail, but restaurants. I was talking to someone about chefs, and you know, a, a chef may shut down their restaurant as, as it would have been in the past, which is unfortunate. And there's a loss of you know capital; it'll be expensive. But you know, a, a chef may come back, whether or not they start a new restaurant or whether they go to another one, or, or for a period of time, open a you know food cart or something like that, and actually create some sort yeah. of incredible gourmet experience. Something I don't know. Ghost I've, kitchen or something like that. You never very god ghost kitchens i find that so fascinating because they're just yeah. popping up i i cannot believe how many ghost kitchens are popping up in canada like dozens yeah. this year definitely and it makes sense it makes sense with the growth of of folks like uber eats and skip the dishes i mean you don't need all that overhead right you can locate in a uh, a less expensive area without all the overhead of the dining room and and you can create brands too so it makes a lot of sense now that we have the uber eats skip the dishes and those folks who Foodoras who deliver food. Mm. Looking to the future, even, I don't know if we want to say beyond the pandemic, but into a future where the pandemic isn't quite as, or isn't causing as much restrictiveness and, you know, <laughs> uh, disruption as we've seen yeah. in the past going on two years, unfortunately. Um, what what do you think we're going to see in terms of retail, you know, physical retail versus online? Uh, we, we, we've gone through a situation here that's been incredibly disruptive. We've seen in digital explode uh, in terms of usage and adoption. Um, what do you think that uh, things are going to look like, say, you know, in 2023, 24, any sort of kind of a prediction around, say, physical retail and otherwise? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I, I take a run at it in my book a little bit. But basically, you know, um, I, I think we're going to see um, e-commerce. E-commerce is getting beat up right now a little bit. So if you look at the growth of e-commerce, you know, you look at Wayfair, they're they're down 20% and things. And I think it's like it's like a a wave coming in. You know, there's a, a it was a tidal wave of e-commerce growth during the pandemic, and then the wave is kind of going back out to the ocean, so the tide's out. And, but then you're going to see it come back and sort of calm down to a level that's higher than where it was before the pandemic. And I think you're going to see you know some nice growth after that. Obviously, not as much as during the pandemic, 
And I think you're going to see um, you're, you're going to see retail continue to to sort of polarize a bit. You're going to have super luxury because there's a lot of people who made a lot of money during the pandemic. And um, you know, if you if you have assets, in other words, real estate or stocks, you've made a lot of money if you invested at the right time. So you're going to see some super luxury, you know, ultra luxury, and then you're going to see value, and um, and and you're going to see obviously retail, uh, physical retail integrated even more with digital, whether it's e-commerce or facial recognition. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are talking about the metaverse um, with um, you know, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. I do think that's going to be a bigger thing in the next little while. Um, and and I, I don't know where Facebook's going to go with that, but I do think that is going to be a bigger thing. Um, I think you'll see sort of physical marketplaces start again too, where almost like in the 1700s or 1800s, you kind of wander into a, an area and it's busy and there's stalls and people are selling wares and you know, there's music and there's food and sort of like a medieval type of, you know, Victorian marketplace. I think you're going to see more of that. And some of them will be pop-ups and some of them will be permanent. Um, um, and you're going to see green. Green is going to be an even bigger play in retail as it relates to what people buy, um, the type of product, whether it's electric cars or other electric items. Um, maybe even, you know, looking at retailers who are locally sourced who buy things locally because of their carbon footprint. So, you know, I do think there's going to be a big tech, there's going to be a balance of, of e-commerce. The brick and mortar isn't going away, but you might see it right-sized and you might see the role of stores change to be pickup place for packages, plus community, plus experts to talk to, plus touch and feel and theater, as some other experts have said. So I do, th I do see it continue to change, but, but, you know, the fundamentals of retail are the same, right? You know, find out what your customer wants uh, give it to them in an easy way at a fair price, you know, with the quality they're expecting um, and make it fun to shop. Oh, it sounds simple. Yeah, it does sound simple, but it's certainly not simple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I, I wonder about the, the future of even the department store, whether or not, you know, this is something that I seem to be tying it into a lot of conversations. But, you know, the department store was a place to discover brands in years past, uh, decades past, I guess we'd say. But now we can discover that, you know, in, in a millisecond on our phone because that brand is probably trying to push the message to us through Instagram or whatever social media we're on. Uh, curious to get your opinion on what the future of these you know, large format retailers are, for, you know, particularly the ones that are, you know, still doing it from a wholesale perspective. We, you know, Whole Renfrew obviously has a, has a concession model, which means that it's become almost a shopping center. But I'm talking about, you know, as the Hudson Bay Company currently is, where they've got, you know, a department with various brands that are in it that they bought and they're stocking. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think we, we would all agree that the role of the department store has changed and it's in decline for the most part. Now, having said that, I think that super premium uh, department stores like a Saks and a Nordstrom have a place, but, but, not, but with not many stores, you know, just maybe one per city or, or one per major center. Because there is people who love the service and they love the feel and the nostalgia of a department store, but department stores are no longer uh, should no longer be be overstored. Like you know, the Bay has whatever the number is, eighty or seventy units. They certainly don't need that many. You know, they 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 don't need that many units. And what the Bay's trying to do is obviously trying to sell off their e-commerce division. And now Macy's people are looking at Macy's to do the same in the U.S. to spin off their e-commerce for for profit reasons, for valuation reasons. But that's that's really difficult to do from an ops standpoint. So I see department stores shrinking 
in terms of the number of stores. I see brands probably consolidating or going away. I hope the Bay does not go away. Um, and I see sort of Nordstrom and Saks standing tall, but with a limited number of units uh, serving the, the, the super luxury customer. That would be my take on department stores. Very sad. I used to work at Sears, which is a department store. But, you know, in department stores, it's funny because if you went back 100 years ago, they were it. They were it. You know, uh, they, they were the, the Amazons. They offered multi-channel, op, omni-channel delivery with, you know, phone later and catalog earlier and shipping out to remote areas. And, and it just shows your retail changed. And, uh, you know, we started to see a pretty, pretty significant decline in department stores in the 90s. That's right. That's right. Because in the 80s still, you know, especially in markets like Montreal, we really had robust department store offerings, which absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done yeah. some some research recently. And the one thing I noticed about the department store was uh, a degree of localization uh, and actually, oddly enough, more so in the United States than in Canada. Um, mm. I would yeah, say yeah. every major American city had its own department store. Canada's yeah. history is unique because Eaton's and the Hudson Bay Company really dominated this country just because of our history of the you know, the colonization of Canada, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. We were, you know, a full country where, so we don't have all those local stores. I mean, Toronto, we had Simpsons, Montreal had Morgans, and uh, Vancouver had Woodward's, but we don't have nearly the number that, you know, again, I've been studying the American cities. I can't even keep track of how many there were in the United States. Now there's only like three or four. There's Macy's and, you know, Dillard's, and there aren't that many. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Every city, you know, Seattle had the Bon Marche and, well, and Nordstrom and Frederick and Nelson. And and I'm just, you know, I could just start in the Northwest. Portland had, you know, Meyer and Frank. And and I could just go, you know, city by city by city. It's just, it's just, fascinating to see Dayton Hudson and Minneapolis and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It is sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is sad because, uh, it was a way of life. It was a wonderful chapter in retail, right. To go to a big store and it had all these departments, which was novel at the time. It had wonderful service. It had interesting brands. It had entertainment, you know, it had food. So it it was a wonderful sort of, you know, almost a little mall within a store. And uh, it's kind of sad to see some of it go away. Uh, or, you know, soon to go away, I think. But, uh, you know, I think that's just, you know, if you're in retail, it's a tough industry. And there is a lot of churn. And you might be on top today, but guess what? You might be challenged in a decade or two where your business model is no longer relevant. And that, that's the hard part of retail. And I think that is also a consistent of retail, or a constant, I should say, is is change in terms of Definitely. Uh, yeah, things have had, things have never stayed static. Even though I think we've been nostalgic, we just talked about department stores. A lot of people, yeah. you know, talk about department stores. You know, that they say a Thanksgiving Day parade or the Santa Claus. They would go sit on a knee as a kid, exactly, uh, or they go to the local restaurant. You know, uh, whether or not that was a fine dining or whether or not that was getting a milkshake at a local. You know, yeah, these are all things that were part of people's lives, and and I think that retail Absolutely. at one time really was a part of people's lives. And even like we did a story recently on. The Hudson Bay Company bringing Zellers back. I don't know what the real reason for that was, but you know they they brought yeah. this sort of uh, they threw some side. But we got a lot of readers, and there was a lot of nostalgia. And it's there clear was, that yeah. for some people, and actually probably for a lot of people, retail has an impact on their lives that can leave an you know a lasting impact, which will lead to long lasting memories. Which which means that you know there is a degree of I guess consumer. I don't want to say manipulation, but you know. That affinity, I think, has a value to it for, for, for businesses. It does. I mean, I think you really nailed it. I mean, when I think of when I was young, it was the Sears Wish Book. And it was going downtown Toronto when I was a youngster in the 70s and seeing the Eaton's setup they had for toys. 
and uh, and and going with my mom to the restaurants at Sears and Eaton's and Simpsons, and that that was magical. But uh, and, and and when you think about it, you know, you think of marketing one hundred and one. That's what brands would love to do. Brands want to be part of your DNA. They want to be part of your fabric. They want you to almost be disciples of what they're offering, and that's probably. Um, you know, it's just a new challenge for marketers to, is to do that now, especially with younger generations, probably a little more digitally, right? Versus, you know, physical footprints that we had when we're young. And guess what? It's a lot more noisier now. There's so many things going on. You know, like you said, there was, a, there was probably, you know, one, one major department store per city. Well, now you've got, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a Gen Z or a Gen X, sorry, not Gen X, Gen Z uh, or young millennial, you've got, you know, whoever, you've got a smartphone, you've got literally thousands of brands trying to fight for your attention. So it's really difficult to cut through the noise and create that affinity that you just spoke of. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been Bruce Winder of Bruce Winder Retail, as well as the author of the book, Before, sorry, Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. Bruce, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on, Craig, and uh, happy to come back anytime. Take care. <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Take care and bye for now. 